And a big word of thanks to the band. We had the full band this morning. Everyone was here. Which also means that uh, Williamson County is with one less barbecue food truck this morning. So <laughs> The band came, but at a very, very high cost. Um, before I begin, I just want to shamelessly plug our next sermon series one more time. We're doing a family playlist sermon series all the rest of the month up through uh, into May. And we're asking in the office for your help in that. And I want to, since we have our big crowd this morning, just plug that one more time. If you would like to help with that, you can go and look at any of our newsletters for the last month or any of them that went out this morning. Or if you need help getting a link, you can always find Ashley. She was the one up here fiddling, to use the technical term. Um, She'd love to help you find a link to this, but we're looking for you to submit your favorite songs to us so we can put them on that family playlist for the whole church. It doesn't have to be a religious song. Um, We've seen some very interesting selections. Uh, (laughs) Those of you that laughed louder are probably the ones that gave us the interesting selections. That was slightly guilty. Um, but no, your favorite song, secular or, or religious, whatever, whichever side of that aisle you fall on, we'd love for you to submit. There's a spot to submit five songs. If you don't feel limited, I know some of you are very passionate about music or specific bands. I could do five songs from Counting Crows alone. There's three. Oh, there are dozens of us, yes. Um, so... Exactly, exactly. Um, so please submit those. We'd love those. Um, we've begun organizing everything for that sermon series, and uh, we would love to use your favorite songs as part of it. So please submit those. If you have any questions how to do that, Ashley would love to help you. I would say I'd help you, but I would probably mess it up and or tell you the wrong thing right now, since I'm new. So with that, we come to the end of our sermon series on the one thing, and it ends on Easter today, which is Today, if you didn't know Easter is today, if you forgot Easter is today and you showed up randomly and noticed the house was full, um, I hope we've clued you in that point of the band or everything else hasn't given it away. It's a pretty big occasion here. And the thing we're focusing on, the one thing that we've always focused on this sermon series is the one thing we have to offer the world, the one thing of meaning and worth that the church has ever had is Christ. And we took this specifically from the book of Acts, if you remember, five weeks ago. Five weeks in my life right now seems like an absolute eternity. But five weeks ago, when I had my first sermon, we introduced this in the book of Acts. Peter is walking along, and he turns, and there is a a man who is lame from birth sitting at the gate to the city. He turns, and he begs Peter and his friends for gold or silver, as the book says, And Peter turns to him and says, I don't have gold or silver, but what I do have, I offer you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the rest of the stories, the man stands up and walks, and there's a whole big issue that unfolds with the chief priests and the religious leaders because of it. But Peter offers the man the one thing he has, which is Christ. And the church often forgets that, or we cheapen that one thing down. So we've spent the last five weeks talking about that one thing, and more specifically, how do we offer that one thing to the world? Because churches are notoriously bad for having these abstract ideas that sound really great. It's almost like we're led by a bunch of people who have liberal arts degrees in philosophy and theology, 
but then give us no concrete ways to do those things. So we spent the last few weeks talking about how do we offer the one thing if the one thing is Christ. And we settled on Micah 6.8. You know, if we're going to offer the world Christ, we have to do justice, which is the lens through which we see the world. It means we see everyone. We have to love mercy, which means how we com- or what we communicate has to be a language of mercy. It's not enough just to say we care about people, but through our actions we have to communicate it. And then finally, we talked about what it means to walk humbly with God at the end of Micah 6.8, or the fact that it's not enough just to see all the people, it's not enough to speak a message of love and mercy to them, but how we communicate that message and the attitude we have when we do it must be one of humility and not pride, or they'll never hear and receive that gospel message. And then we come to today, all day, a day of all days, Easter, a day when we celebrate what we have read in Luke's gospel, which our reading from Luke 24 highlights Mary finding the empty tomb. And it highlights that one thing we have to give. That one thing being Christ. And not a a cheap version of grace, a cheap Christ that is only for the hereafter, but it's something meaningful and impactful for our daily lives today. I remember before I went to church, as some of you know, I I grew up in a non-religious family. Before I went to church... As, as a teenager, one of my friends had drugged me to their youth group, and they were doing something fun. I forgot what it was. I guess it was super important because I forgot what it was. But we were doing something fun, but we had to go to a revival first. We grew up in a town with a small Baptist college in it. And so this was a very old-school tent revival the folding chairs and the whole nine yards. They'd they'd hauled out an old upright piano that was kind of, sort of, had a memory of being in tune. And and they were singing old hymns, and they thought this was was the place that was going to bring all of the teenagers in, so they made all of us sit on the back row. And we were leaning as far back, trying to get out of the tent as possible, because it was July, and it was evening, and we were outside in Texas, and it was hot. The kind of hot, you know, if you're, if you're sitting outside at an event, like maybe in the 4th of July in a few months, and, and your legs stick to the chair, that's the kind of hot it was. And because it was July and evening, there were also mosquitoes. There's all sorts of fun stuff happening in Texas in the summer outside. And we were experiencing all of it. And I remember the, the preacher was the stereotypical hellfire and brimstone preacher. And he was going on and on about how hot hell was. And I was leaning back in my chair trying to get a little bit of fresh air that wasn't really existent on the outside of the tent. And I remember my friend's youth director was like motioning wildly to get me to set all four of the feet of my chair back on the ground. And I had this vivid memory of thinking, and the first time I had a thought about, I guess you could say end times or afterlife, a very serious thought, or as serious as a teenage guy can have. And I thought, man, if hell is hot, this must be hell. (laughs) It really must. I also had another thought of, man, will someone just go down there and be saved so we can all go home? (laughs) But we have this problem in the church when we talk about Christ. And, And it comes up sometimes at Easter. 
And we like to focus on the hereafter when we talk about Christ. We like to focus on what comes next, or what we would say is the afterlife. That likes to be the, the target that we're trying to hit. We often focus everything there. And I think we do it because it's easy. It's easy to say Christ and the stone rolled back and the empty tomb is all about what comes after death. But when we do that, we cheapen our faith and we undercut the sacrifice of Christ. Because it's not just about what comes after death this morning. But it's about what's here and now. The tomb wasn't just rolled back in some metaphysical way for the salvation of people when they die and we just have to cross that finish line. But the tomb being empty this morning is significant in the fact that it is the beginning of God's work to reclaim creation. It's not as if God is writing us all off in this mortal life as a loss and just waiting until the next one. It's not that we have to shed our mortal coil to experience the love of the kingdom now. Instead, Easter is about that kingdom breaking forth now and God's reign beginning here on earth, just like the prayer we said, on earth as it is in heaven. Quite directly implying that it begins here. If you remember back to Genesis, God is creating everything in the first few chapters. I'm going to be intentionally vague because the creation stories kind of differ depending which one you read, whether the first one or the second one. But as God's creating everything, do you remember what happens? He creates everything the first day. He creates all this stuff on day one, separates earth and sky, water and everything. And, and he says, what at the end of the first day? He looks at it all and he says, this is good. This is good. And you, you know he goes on the second day and he creates more stuff. And he steps back and he looks at it and he, he says what again? He says, this is good. This is good. And he goes on the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day and the sixth day. He looks at everything on the sixth day and says, this is, this is good. This is good. I like this. And steps back on the seventh day and takes a nap. I encourage you, today is the seventh day. Go take a nap after church. But no, God creates everything, and he steps back and says it's good. He assigns worth and value to his creation. And then and we all mess it up. You know the rest of the story. We, we, we take this good creation, and, and through our free will, we kind of make it less than good at times. At times, we can make it downright bad. But the tomb being empty this morning is the work of God not throwing that creation away and saying, well, we'll just start over right now. But it's part of God's work of coming into that creation himself and saying, I will come myself and help you fix this. I will come myself and help you reclaim that goodness in this creation. We see that as Mary approaches the tomb. We also see in Mary something I think really interesting. 
Like we've been saying the last five weeks, you know, we can't just say we're going to offer the world Christ. We have to have kind of these concrete ways to do it. And we used Micah 6.8 as that guide. And we can see her playing those parts out, those three different values out here as she approaches the tomb. As she comes and draws near the tomb, she's coming and she's coming to a tomb on the first day of the week doing this kind of work where people would rather just forget about this Jesus. He was a big deal, but he's dead now and he's in the ground. Let's just forget about him. And yet there's a part of her and the other women that yearn for the justice to see even the dead people that are forgotten. So she draws near the tomb on the first day, doing the work that even the 12 disciples at that point didn't even care about doing anymore. So she draws near the tomb And she very painstakingly and lovingly, in a great depth of mercy, has prepared the rest of the process for burial. If you go back to Good Friday, and remember the scriptures we read in that service, it is only partially done. There were a couple things that they had brought, but... They didn't have enough time to actually prepare his body for burial as they would, so they kind of hastily did it, you know, the 12th hour college job right before the papers do. They did it about that quality, and they threw him in the tomb, and they moved on because they didn't have enough time to do anything else. And so not only has Mary remembered him, but then she's approached him having already prepared through acts of mercy the rest of the process of burial. And then finally, we see her humility in being willing to serve in this capacity. Not pridefully boasting about it, not one to lord it over others, but coming humbly and meekly forward to serve. We see exemplified for us here this image of what it means to actually offer the world the one thing we have. We see an image of what it looks like to have justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, even when we struggle to do that out of fear. As the disciples and those who followed Christ at this moment were afraid for their own lives after his death. And we see something powerful with Mary. Is when we can offer the world that one thing, God uses us to begin that work of reclaiming his creation. Because of what Mary did, we have this story, and we have the gospel almost essentially in its full form because she went to the tomb early that day. And we have an image of a God because of that that is willing to interject himself into our daily existence, wanting to partially reclaim that from the fallen nature of this world. Because of her, we have all of this work and goodness. How powerful is that? That we can experience the things we do now because she showed up. But what's more powerful is the fact that that kind of work still happens today. When we choose to do the same thing she did, when we choose to answer that call to service, 
when we choose to see all the people, when we choose to engage with them in acts of love and mercy, when we choose to walk humbly with them and God through the steps of this life, God will still roll back the stones blocking the tombs. God will still come forth and help reclaim his creation, his good and beautiful and holy creation. On this Easter, if we're willing and able to walk that path, then God will walk with us and call us out of our own tombs to do the work of reclaiming his kingdom. See, when we cheapen the faith like that preacher did on one of my first experiences of a tent revival, when we say our faith is nothing but fire insurance for a hell to come, then we lose sight of the beauty of God's creation and all of the hard work that God has put into reclaiming it. We lose sight of the fact that this life, the one we live now, in its imperfect and sometimes broken state, is worthy of Christ coming into earth for, is worth enough to God that he would wrap himself in flesh and walk among us, is worth enough to our God that he would dwell among us, that he would live and die. It's worth so much to him here and now. He would not only live and die, but that he would rise again, that in this life, we might begin to experience the goodness and the joy of heaven. That we might begin to experience the fact that even as we walk through the different parts of our life here and now, God is still and will always be because the tomb is empty with us. You know, in closing, this has been a quick transition, as I've said multiple times for, in front of all of y'all, for us as a family coming here. I know it's been a lot longer for y'all. Um, but one of the things that changed was going from my last two churches being a very traditional liturgical church, and this one, I'd say not liturgical. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing tennis shoes on Easter Sunday. I would have been probably crucified for doing that, no pun intended, at other churches I've been pastor of. But after one of my first services here, I was talking with my family, and one of our girls relayed to me how weird it was, because I was in church, and I was in jeans that Sunday, and I didn't have my robe on. Which, my robe is on the back of my chair in my office right over there. It's actually kind of wrinkled up and balled up now, because I'm not great at moving or packing. I have lots of family that would agree as they nod agreeingly from the back of the church. But one of the things that is interesting about those old traditional or liturgical services is we always begin with like a call to worship or an affirmation of faith. And there's a long explanation of why they do that. And I'm not going to get into that because it's kind of boring. And as my family would say, you're the only one that cares. You're the only one that's interested. Um, 
But we usually begin that, and you'll usually begin it with something like the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, da, 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 and everyone echoes it with you. And, or if you're, if you're brave or just really bored, you'll do like the Nicene Creed because it's three times as long. But there's one that, that I think is extremely powerful because it captures this concept that God isn't just worried about what comes after us in death, like that one preacher I heard on a very sweaty July evening. But God is concerned about the here and now, and he's willing to walk that here and now with us. At the back of the hymnal, one of the call to worships, or excuse me, one of the affirmations of faith is an affirmation of faith of the United Church of Canada. And it very clearly ends in the last paragraph after confessing the different parts of the Christian faith. It says this, it says, in life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us, and we are not alone. Thanks be to God. Like Mary, as we approach the empty tomb this morning, and we hear the angel's words questioning why we look for the living among the dead, we can rest assured that we are not alone if we choose to offer this world the one thing we have in Christ. That we are not alone, not just in the life to come, but even in the life now. That our God, the same one that overcame the grave, will walk with us now. I invite you in this Easter season, now that he has rolled the stone away from the tomb, not just there, but of our own hearts as well, I invite you to rise up and offer the world the one thing you find in that tomb. Go and offer them Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.